Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Unspeakable Love Sermon Series, which is based out of the book of Hosea. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God has impacted you through these messages. Starting a brand new series entitled Unspeakable Love, and I think it'll be a help to us. And I'm looking forward to the, uh, the study of the book of Hosea, looking forward to really just everything uh, that God has in store for us out of the book of Hosea. And so tonight we're going to start Hosea chapter number one. And uh, how many of you have ever taught a kid's class before? Maybe at church or maybe you've been a school teacher. All right, a number of people. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, you know, one of the hardest things to do when you're doing uh, speaking, whether it's with uh, kids or adults, Sometimes one of the hardest things to do is to get attention, uh, to get the kids' attention. I know that with, uh, with some of you, I know we have some school teachers in here, and uh, I'm, I'm curious as to uh, something you've done to get children's attention. So I'm going to ask uh, Brother Dan back there. He does junior church every now and then. Brother Dan, what's something you do to help get the kids' attention? Yell. Yell. <laughs> All right. What's something real? All right, how many of you have seen the, the little tennis balls with the word amen written on? How many of your parents, your parents, your kid has brought one of those home, uh, broken a window with it? Uh, <clears throat> the amen ball, I know you throw it up and down or something like that. Is that right? Get the kids to yell amen, trying to get the kids' attention. Uh, John, you're a school teacher. What's something you've done to try to get kids' attention before? Turn out the lights. Turn out the lights. Man, it probably, it probably does, kills it real quick, huh? Brother Craig, you drive a bus. What do you do? The The quiet coyote. Does it work? Really? Yeah, all right, that's good, that's good. Micah, what do you do? All right. All right, little rhymes and things that people do. You know what? There's a lot of things that you can do to get kids' attention, and uh, I, I know there's a lot of things you can do <laughs> to get adults' attention. Uh, sometimes when uh, I've been teased about this, but sometimes I'll be preaching, and uh, I've, someone will say, Pastor, I knew someone wasn't paying attention today because uh, you, you went to one side and started clapping. And uh, you know what? Sometimes I'll do that. I'll come down and go like that, because sometimes we just kind of need to be jarred a little bit. I know with kids, though, uh, a lot of people can do a lot of things to get their attention. I've been in classes where, uh, unfortunately, a teacher will just scream at the top of their lungs, and, uh, you know, the class will be misbehaving. They'll be like, ah! until everybody's quiet, you know. Probably not the best way. Uh, one of the best ways that I've learned in teaching with kids to get their attention. And if you've done VBS with us, you'll know that I do this every now and then is to whisper. Because if you begin, if you begin whispering and they can't hear you, they're curious as to what you're saying. And so the volume level goes. Now, usually that only works for a while until they get used to you. And then they're like, oh, he's not saying anything right now because he's just trying to get my attention. But you know what? Every one of us We've been involved, whether in teaching or in on the receiving end. Have you ever been in a class where the teacher's trying to get everybody's attention? Yeah, I've been in those classes, and I was usually the reason the teacher was trying to get everybody else's attention. Um, class clown was a nickname. But uh, anyway, you know what? We've been through those times, and I, I wonder, I wonder this. If you're the student and God is the teacher, 
If you're the student and God is the teacher, my question for us tonight is just simply this. What does it take for God to get your attention? What does it take for God to get your attention? Tonight, we're going to come to start this study of the book of Hosea. Hosea is a very, uh, it's a very interesting book. And uh, I wonder, I asked this morning if anybody's read it, is there anybody there that you've studied out the book of Hosea? You've taken time to kind of read through it and study, all right, three or four people. You know what, when you begin to take time to really study out the book of Hosea, what an incredible book describing God's unspeakable love and mercy for his people. And also, I believe that there's so much in the book about the long-sufferingness of God and God's patience. And so we're gonna take some time to learn about all of these things. And uh, tonight we're gonna start in Hosea chapter number one. And so if you would stand with me as we start tonight, <clears throat> Hosea chapter one. And uh, tonight we're really just gonna do the first three verses, all right? The first three verses is all we're gonna get into tonight and uh, save the, uh, the, the rest for the weeks to come. Hosea chapter one and verse number one, the word of God says this, and the word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the uh, days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. Tonight we're going to see, I ask you the question, what does it take for God to get your attention? Tonight we're going to see that God will go through extreme measures to get his children's attention. And we see that taking place right as the uh, book of Hosea opens up. We're gonna look in, the, in this passage and see what God had to do to try to get Israel's attention. And then we're going to uh, see what God has to do to get our attention. But then also wrapped up in just these first few verses, I believe that we can see in just these three verses that God doesn't have to go through extreme measures to get your attention. Sometimes it just have to be willing to listen and obey. And I think we're gonna be challenged with that thought tonight. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the word of God. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truths, and thank you for how you use it to strengthen our relationship with you and to change uh, our heart. And Father, I just wanna come before you tonight, and I wanna pray that you would help us. God, I surrender to you and just ask you that your thoughts would be what come out tonight. Lord, I know that I'm unworthy of uh, giving your word. And Father, I have nothing to offer except for what you give through me. And so I just humble myself to you and, and um, surrender as a vessel to be used. I pray that you'd help each of us to be surrendered as vessels, to listen and to hear your word. And Lord, that you would use this message to challenge us in our surrender to you. And Father, we would grow tonight. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we start tonight in our study of the book of Hosea, I want you to first of all notice with me as we open up the book, Hosea's surroundings. I wanna to give to you kind of the, uh, the context of the book of Hosea and, and the, uh, the surroundings for the prophet Hosea. Of course, the book, Hosea, written by who? Man, it's good. 
That's deep, isn't it? Uh, the book of Hosea written by Hosea. And uh, of course, Hosea was a prophet and he would have been a prophet during the time of, of Amos, during the time of Isaiah, and during the time of Micah. Uh, they would be what, what's called his contemporaries. That would be, uh, they were also prophets during his life. Now, when you look, he was a prophet, uh, Hosea was. The very first verse lets us know how long he was a prophet. It would be a number of years. If you go to, very, to the, uh, Hosea chapter one and verse number one, you find out that Hosea actually prophesied during the reigns of Uzziah. Okay, who else prophesied during the reign of Uzziah? Isaiah did, right? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, Isaiah chapter six. He prophesied, prophesied during the reign of, of Uzziah, the reign of Jotham, the reign of Ahaz, and the reign of uh, Hezekiah of Judah. And so all of those kings were the kings of Judah. And then he also prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II, which would be the king of Israel. Jeroboam II, king of Israel. I believe he was king... Um, I, I didn't look this up. I believe it was 42 years or 47 years that Jeroboam was the king of Israel. And so that tells us that Hezekiah, or excuse me, that Hosea probably was a prophet for the nation of Israel at least 25 to 40 years, somewhere in that time frame, maybe even more. We know he's spanning. You could go and do the math, and I didn't take time to do that because really it's, it, it doesn't necessarily matter for us tonight to know how long he was prophet, but just that he was a prophet. Uh, something interesting is that Hosea, he prophesied shortly after the life of Elijah and Elisha, uh, two of the major prophets we read about in the books of, book of Kings and uh, great men of God. And Hosea kind of comes in on their coattails, if you will, that he just kind of one of the prophets that follows after Elijah and Elisha. When you go and you read the book of, of Hosea, much of the prophecies in the book of Hosea concern the northern kingdom or the kingdom of Israel. Concern, uh, you know, you have the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. And Hosea would be a prophet prophesying about mainly that northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, when you look at this, God, he first called Hosea to be a prophet during a very strong time in the nation of Israel. All right, Jeroboam II was in charge during Jeroboam's reign. Uh, it was during those years that um, uh, the former um, power of Israel that was under Solomon generations before was kind of being restored. Uh, Jeroboam was one that he came in and at Jeroboam II, he came in and did some things that brought land back and he began to conquer and take back that which was taken from Israel. And, and so uh, during this time, Israel was really a prosperous, a prosperous kingdom. Then when I say Israel, we have to know it's split up into two, the northern uh, kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, all right? And so when you look at the northern kingdom of Israel, we have to know that during this time, it was a very uh, prosperous kingdom. There was a lot taking place. It was one of those times that success was kind of uh, on the forefront of everyone's mind. And at this point, in Israel's history, uh, it would be said that Israel was arrogantly leading itself through life. Israel was paying no attention to prophets. They didn't care what Elijah and Elisha had to say. You can go and, and just, read the t re uh, just read the book of Kings, right? I mean, you can read under the different leaderships um, how people just disregarded the prophecies. I mean, you can go read, read the book of Jeremiah, right? The book of Jeremiah, God said, hey, I'm going to put you before them, but they're not going to listen to you. I'm going to put you before them, and you're going to weep before them, but the people are not going to listen to you. Uh, in context of scripture, that really uh, describes to us much of the uh, um, attitude of the people of Israel. 
Well, that would be their attitude during this time. Many of the people were proud. The nation of Israel was feeling like they were doing good. And because of this arrogance and this spirit of accomplishment, what had happened is the children of Israel had once again turned their back on God. They were seeking their own, kind of like the days of Judges that we read about in the book of Judges. They were doing that which was right in their own eyes. They, had, they could care less about the leadership of God. We have to know something, and this, I was reminded of this even today as I was studying this afternoon, that even this of the children of Israel turning their back on God during this time in Hosea's day, it was actually prophecy fulfilled. God had prophesied that they would turn their back on, on him. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but Deuteronomy 31, I'm in Deuteronomy right now, and just finishing up the book of Deuteronomy in my, my personal time. And 31, verse 16 and 17 says this, the Lord said unto Moses, behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. So Moses, you're gonna die. And notice what, notice what God prophesied to Moses about the children of Israel. He says, and this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, whither they go to be among them, and will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. He says, then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, are not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us. The phrase that our God is not among us does not mean that God has forsaken us. It means we have not brought God into the camp. We have not incorporated God into our life. This is a direct, I believe, direct quote as to what was taking place during the times of the prophets. That the children of Israel, they wanted literally nothing to do with God. They had become so successful. They had become to the place where they uh, were relying and saying that we really just don't need God. They had a pride. The children of Israel had this, and, and you know what? They still have it to this day. The children of Israel, they have a, a pride in being the people of God. They have a pride in being the people of God and claiming God as the God of Israel, but they don't claim God as their God. That's still the attitude. You can ask, uh, ask Brother Micah or, or Brother Dan about the people in Israel that we spoke to. And I think of Orit, our uh, tour guide, when we were in Israel just a few months ago. And Miss Anita would tell you, and, and Miss Hannah and Miss Nancy, that, uh, man, here was a lady that she, she really took pride in claiming that Israel is Jehovah's people. But on the contrary, they, didn't, they don't take pride in claiming that we as God's people claim him as our God. Man, there's just that, that distance, if you will. So during the days of Hosea's prophecy, although he foretold of the downfall of the people of Israel, uh, well, let me say it this way. I'm getting ahead of myself. So here, here you have this. You have prophecy fulfilled. You have the children of Israel uh, that they're turning their backs on God. And then Hosea enters the scene. And God uses Hosea to say, hey, listen, your downfall is coming. Hey, listen, your downfall is coming. Hey, Quinn, just keep those boys back there when they come, okay? 
Uh, he says, hey, listen, your downfall is coming. So you, you better watch out. This is Hosea now. You better watch out because God's mercy will only last for so long. That's what Hosea is saying to the children of Israel. Isn't it interesting, and I want to get this to you, isn't it interesting that just as their successes had crowded out their sensitivity to the voice of God, even with us, that happens. Here's the nation of Israel, quote unquote, successful, and yet their success has caused them to crowd out God speaking to them. You see, God had been sending prophets. That's the book of Isaiah. That's the book of Amos. God had been sending different people to come and speak truth into the children of Israel. And, God, and listen, the children of Israel, they were not listening. They were not hearing. God, did you know God went through some drastic measures to try to get their attention? Think about this. Isaiah, God told Isaiah to prophesy pretty much, if I can say it this way, he told Isaiah to prophesy pretty much in just a loincloth. Pretty much almost, almost stark naked. Isaiah, I want you to walk the streets and preach the truth of God. Can I just tell you right now, I'm glad God doesn't ask people to do that nowadays. <laughs> I'm thankful for that. But God went through some extreme. Why would God do that? God was trying to use a, uh, uh, an action message, if you will. Like, hey, children of Israel, I'm using this. I'm doing this to preach to you about the, the need for you, that you have for me. And you have forsaken me. And because of that, I'm going to cause you to become destitute. And that's what Isaiah was preaching. Uh, another time that God used drastic measures to get the children of Israel's attention, uh, the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel, listen, listen to this. This is what God had Ezekiel do. This is just one of the things. He had Ezekiel lay on one of his sides facing Israel and Jerusalem for 390 days laying on one side and prophesying about the, down, about the, the coming judgment and about uh, the different years or the 390 years of, uh, of uh, trials that they were gonna be going through. But wait, it doesn't, st it doesn't stop there. After the 390 days facing one way, he had to roll over to the other side and do 40 days to say to the southern kingdom, hey, now your judgment's coming too. You're all, you're all in this together. So 430 days he spent on his two sides. On top of that, this is the worst part. On top of that, during those, during those 430 days, he had to eat food that was cooked by a fire made by dung. That's what he was supposed to do. He's, now we look at this and I mean, I don't know about you, but why would, why would God do that? God was trying to get his people's attention. He was saying, hey, I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to give you a, a, a word picture, an action message. I'm trying to help you understand and see that you are wrong and you need to turn back to me. And so God comes to Hosea. We're gonna see in a second that he asks Hosea to have an action message as well. But I say all of that about God getting attention because I, need, I want us to understand tonight that sometimes, listen, sometimes God has to go to extreme measures to get his people's attention. Now, I am not at all a, 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 a doomsdayist, if I can say that's not even a phrase, I just made it up. It became a phrase, hashtag doomsdayist. <clears throat> I am not one, 
But I will tell you that I, I believe that God has allowed some catastrophes to hit our world to turn people towards him. I recall, and many of you do as well, and uh, um, anybody who's 18 or under will not remember this, but you remember 9-11. Listen, I, I believe that 9-11, um, while, I, while I know that God did not want that to happen in the sense of people's lives being taken, I do believe God allowed it to happen because right after 9-11, you know what our country began to see? Our country began to see a little bit of revival. 2005, Hurricane Katrina hits. I went down to the devastation of Hurricane Katrina um, about three weeks after. It was a part of a, a relief team that went down there, and I saw it firsthand. And I have pictures. What, man, what an absolute horrific hurricane. And it hit. Did you know the weekend that, hur that Hurricane Katrina hit, um, when it hit uh, New Orleans, was one of the weekends that they were celebrating Satan? And that's the weekend that Hurricane Katrina hit? You say, well, pastor, are you saying that's God's judgment? No, 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 I'm not, I'm not a doomsdayist. I'm not saying, well, that was God's judgment. I don't believe anybody can say that. But I, I will say this, I believe God allowed it to happen because he's trying to get attention. Earthquakes, these California fires this last year, I think God would allow, our Washington fires the last couple of years, I think God allows things to happen because here's what, here's what happens when, when devastation comes, that's when people turn to God. Here's what I wanna ask you as a Christian. Why does it take devastation for Christians to turn to him? Why does, it take, why does it take some horrible situation for us to turn to him? It takes cancer for a Christian to turn to him. It takes the death of a loved one for a Christian to turn to him. It takes some uh, financial struggle that's completely out of my control for me to turn to him. Why? Why can't God just have the attention that he needs right away? And I'm speaking to myself as well, because listen, this is a challenging thought. What does it take for God to get your attention? Because here's the simple truth that you and I, we go through this life and often we are just, before we condemn the children of Israel, often we are just like the children of Israel that we're going through life thinking that everything's hunky-dory and I don't need God and our successes crowd out our sensitivity to the Lord. And you, need, you and I need to be aware of this truth that as we open up the book of Hosea, it is, it is uh, God uh, trying to get their attention and say, hey, listen, you have crowded me out. You have pushed me to the side. And may we as believers look at this and learn a lesson. God, help me not to push you to the side. When you look at the nation of Israel and, um, and everything they had, they had uh, gone through and all of their successes that they had and that they were crowding out God's, sense of, or, uh, God's voice, I want you to see that the nation of Israel, where they were at this point in time, one man described it this way, and I love the description. He says this. He says, they were blood kin to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and lived only a day's march from Jerusalem and the temple. Yet they wallowed in superstition, indulged in every form of immorality and social injustice, and worshiped at the feet of graven images. Here's what this common uh, commentator is saying. Hey, listen, they were completely blessed as the people of God, and yet they turned away from him. Wow. Wow. I would look at this and say, Israel, what is wrong with you? But then I need to be reminded to look in a mirror. Because how often do we get caught up in our successes and it creates a hindrance to our sensitivity to the voice of the Lord. And God, he has to wake us up a little bit. I see tonight, this, or this evening, I see Hosea's uh, surroundings or his backstory, if you will. 
But I want you to notice, secondly with me, Hosea's specific instruction, something specific that God gave to Hosea that he wanted him to do. Before we read the verse, here you have all of these things taking place in the nation of Israel, right? They are uh, running from God. They are uh, successful. They don't see their doom coming. And then you have Hosea. Hosea is right in the middle of this. And from the context of the, of the whole book, uh, I would believe that Hosea was a righteous man before God came to him. I would believe that Hosea was a prophet that was walking with God, wanting a relationship with God, wanting God's people to do something. I would even believe, um, I probably, I don't know that I'd necessarily stand on this, but I believe that Hosea was even a preacher uh, before all of these things started taking place. And so here you have this man that's, that's preaching truth, that's standing for truth, that's saying you need to uh, stand up for the Lord, you need to turn back to him, you need to repent. He's in the midst of all of these things. And perhaps I can see Hosea kind of wondering, God, how long are you gonna put up with this? Like, God, uh, I, remember, I remember hearing Elijah or Elisha preach. God, I remember, I was just up there with Isaiah, and I remember Isaiah preaching that judgment's coming. God, when are you, what's, when are you going to deal with this? And I can imagine Hosea, maybe as he's wondering all of this one day, God comes to him and speaks to him. Man, what an amazing, what an amazing experience that would be. Can you imagine, <clears throat> can you imagine hearing Hearing the audible voice of God. Well, pastor, I had this experience. That was bad pizza. <laughs> God doesn't work like he did back then to speak in his audible voice. I've had, I've had, I've had uh, uh, quote unquote pastors or men of God try to tell me, well, there was this great experience. Listen, that is contradictory to what God's word says. God does not work in through visions or through vocal uh, 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 Words to you, he doesn't work that way anymore. But can you imagine if he did? That'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, to literally hear, you know, God just, hey, Dennis, man, who was that? This is God, and here's my message for you. Man, it gives me chills just thinking about it. I think that's awesome. I think that'd be cool especially if you're Hosea, right? Because here you are in the midst of all of this uh, uh, sin, in the midst of all these people turning their back on God, and you're thinking, God, why aren't you just dealing with this? And then you hear a voice, Hosea, this is God, and I want to speak to you. Man, what an amazing moment. I imagine Hosea is thinking, all right, yes, this is it. Man, God's got a great message for me. Look at verse two. Notice what the message is. Hosea chapter, chapter one and verse number two. The first part of it, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. Hey, listen, I was stopped one day and God spoke to me. This is the beginning of the word of the Lord spoken to me. And here's what God said. Hosea, yes, Lord. Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. Man, did I eat something that was bad? Um, God, I'm sorry. Uh, what? 
What did you just say to me? What, what are you? You say, <clears throat> probably like me. Why would God say this? Let me, let me break this down if you don't know what this is. Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. And listen, not just any prostitute. I want you to, this is interesting. I want you to marry a prostitute that is completely given over to the life of prostitution. It's an interesting word study. The word whoredoms with the S on the end, it means to be given over to. So this refers to, quote, a woman who is repeatedly guilty of sexual immorality. Hey, Hosea, yes, God, yes, speak to me. I want you to marry someone who's going to continually be unfaithful to you. Man, can you imagine the heartbreak that he's feeling right then? I mean, I don't know this to be true, but I'm probably could be 95% sure. I don't think Hosea was sitting in class, his senior class one day, and they're like, write out your life's goals. I don't think this was on it. I don't. I mean, Hosea, with his love for the Lord, I imagine Hosea saying, I wanna marry a godly woman. I wanna marry somebody that just loves God. And yet God comes to him and says, Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. But you know what's encouraging? Is that in the midst of this question, God gave Hosea the reason. Notice the last part of verse number two, Hosea chapter one and verse two, the last part of it. Here's what God says. For the land, speaking of the nation of Israel, hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Hey, Hosea, listen, there is purpose in you doing this. I'm gonna use it to try to get the attention of my people to show them my love and my mercy. You ever been asked to do something crazy? I uh, was trying to think of things that I've been asked to do that are crazy. And unfortunately, I can't come up with very many stories that don't include Brother Dan. <laughs> oh, not that he asked me to do something crazy or I asked him to do something crazy, but we did have some friends. I remember one time we were, um, I think we were probably in seventh or maybe eighth grade, and uh, we were staying out at Daniel's house, and uh, he lived in a town called LaSalle. It was about 15 minutes outside of Greeley, Colorado, uh, where my dad pastored. And uh, we were staying the night one night, and, and he had a whole group of friends over, and we would do that often. We'd just have a whole group of us that would stay at one of our friend's houses, and I don't really recommend that nowadays. Um, but anyway, uh, we, were, we were doing this, staying over there, and, and one of the friends, he came up with this, um, with this game. He said, hey, do you guys wanna play this game? And he gave us the title of the game. So, well, what, what, what's that? He said, well, here's what we're gonna do. And that's about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. He said, we're all gonna go outside in the front yard, and then we're gonna all run to a different neighbor's house 
bang on the door and then run back as fast as you can. And if you get caught, you lose. I don't know what friend, do you remember what friend it was that said all this? Do you? <laughs> was it you? No, it wasn't. It wasn't you. Uh, anyway, so I remember we, we, pl- we, we did this game. And I've told you about other experiences of banging on people's windows and different things like that. But we played, the, we, we did this little thing where we're going out and banging on people's door and coming back. And if I recall, I think this was another instance that the police were called. It did not work out well. Being asked to do just something that's, that's kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> again, all of my stories just uh, include different people, and many of them include uh, Brother Dan. But um, one, of, one of my stories of being asked to do something crazy, I don't know if he was there on this one, but it was some friends of ours. They were named the Wrights, Brad and Scott Wright. And uh, <clears throat> we were at their house, and it was, hey, you guys want to go sledding? Well, Yeah. What kid, you know, what 10-year-old doesn't want to go sledding? Well, listen, out here behind the house, uh, you know, back, back about a block or so, there's a, uh, there's a frozen pond. And we have a hill that we can actually sled down the hill onto the pond. Let me say that again. We have a hill that we can sled down the hill onto the pond. Now, as a... 10-year-old, where's the harm in that? Yeah, that didn't work out very well. I think it was Scott or Brad that broke through first. And I felt like it's a wonderful life, you know, make a chain, you know, get them out. And uh, man, just sometimes when you're asked to do something crazy. As a pastor, I've been asked to do some crazy things. I had one lady call me and, and uh, I had just met her out, out door knocking and she called the church. This is six, six, or six or seven years ago. She said, Pastor Dennis, hey, you just met me out at such and such street. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember meeting you. She said, now listen, I want to ask you, uh, I want to ask you, do you do house exorcisms? <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, say that again? Well, listen, here's the story. I think my house is demon-possessed, and I want you to come and do a house exorcism. Do you do those? I'd only been pastoring about eight months. Well, no, I, I can't say that I do do those. I, I have not done those. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I can come pray at your house if that's what you're, yeah, yeah, that'll work. Would you just come pray at my house? Sure, I'll come pray at your house. You know what? There's some weird things you get asked. Micah, prepare yourself. Uh, there's some weird <laughs> things that you get asked to do. Uh, and never mind, I won't give you all of the illustrations. You know what? One of the things that I've never been asked to do is what Hosea was asked to do. I've been asked some crazy things, but I don't know what my response would be with this one. What would your response be? This is a hard one, isn't it? You know what? When you look at this, Hosea, he has this specific instruction from God. But I want to finish up by looking at this last thought because we don't have to wonder what Hosea did. We know. As you look and we see Hosea's surroundings, the history of it, 
We see his specific instruction. I want you to lastly notice with me Hosea's surrender. Hosea's surrender. I love the verse. Notice verse number three. It says this. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. He went and he did it. And he obeyed. And he didn't just obey. And this is a word study. I don't have time to get into everything. He didn't just obey. From the uh, Old Testament, we know that names have meanings. And names, names mean something having to do with the person. Um, we did the, the name study of the names of, of God and how every, every name of God represents a different characteristic of God. Well, in the Old Testament, that was in, in this time, that was very common. Sometimes people would even change their names. Um, go to the book of Ruth. Naomi, her name means pleasant. When she came back uh, from Moab, what did her name change? What did she change her name to? Anybody remember? Mara. Mara, which means bitter, because the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. So she literally changed her name to define who she was. Okay, that's true in the Old Testament with many of the names, and that's true with these two names of Gomer and Diblaim. The name Gomer, when you look at the name of, of uh, Gomer in Scripture, um, the name Gomer, it means uh, to be complete or completion. This would help us understand that Gomer, uh, she was probably a very beautiful woman. She was probably very attractive. So... If she's a prostitute and she's very attractive, then that probably means that her promiscuity is a little bit more than others, okay? So he, he goes and he takes someone who's given over to that lifestyle. Not only was she given over to that lifestyle, the name Diblaim, in context and in historical uh, um, vocabulary and wording, we would probably lean to the fact that Diblaim, he himself, was one that uh, raised his family around a life of prostitutes. He was one that was very sinful himself and very sensual himself, one that uh, never um, uh, taught his children that this is wrong and this is sin in God's eyes. So Hosea marries Gomer. You say, why did Hosea marry Gomer? He was obeying God. He's obeying God. He was surrendered to God. No questions, no explanations needed, just complete, full surrender to God. God didn't have to do a lot to get Hosea's attention, did he? No, he just spoke to him. Hosea was close enough to God that he recognized the voice of God and was able to obey the instruction of God and follow the will or the plan of God. He simply obeyed. He simply surrendered. Now, let me tell you this, and I spoke about it just a second ago. God doesn't work. Listen, God does not work in the same ways now like he did then. God does not verbally ask people to do things like this anymore. 
I personally believe that God, um, while we could gain illustrations from people's lives, I don't believe that God specifically asks people to live out action messages anymore. I don't believe that. The reason is because of what Peter said, that we have a more sure word, and because of what Paul said, that that which is uh, in part, when that which is in part is complete, then, or excuse me, when that, uh, oh, what's he say? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Say the first part again. Yeah. Uh, when that which is, uh, um, nope, that's not it. Give me a second. Go to 2 Corinthians 12. No, no, that's not it either. Yeah, it's just before it. 1 Corinthians, is it 1 Corinthians 12? 13, no, not 13. Yeah, 13, thank you. Uh, 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 verse 10. So you were getting that, uh, Alan. All of you got it, but listen. When that which is, uh, nope, verse, um, yeah, when that which is perfect, thank you. The word was perfect. That's what I was looking for. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. That which is perfect or complete or whole is referring to the word of God. That which is in part is referring to prophecies and visions and tongues and all of that. And that's what, that's what Paul was writing about. Uh, so I, I say all of that, sorry to get off on a rabbit trail on the verse, but I say all of that to help us understand that what God did then, God doesn't necessarily do now in speaking verbally to people. So I preface what I'm about to say with that statement, because here's the truth, that God still is, listen, God is still calling his people to do uncomfortable things to glorify him. He still calls his people to do uncomfortable things to glorify him. God still calls you and I to take steps of faith so that he can be glorified. Now, again, God's not going to come and ask somebody, would you go and marry a prostitute to prove uh, who I am to my people? No, God doesn't do that. He's fulfilled it. He's given us the word of God. The word of God is what God uses now to direct his people. But God, through his word, is going to speak to your heart, whether you're a child, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a mom or a dad or a grandparent, whether you're single or married, God is going to use his word to speak to your heart, to challenge you or encourage you to take steps of faith. And you and I, we have to choose if we, like Hosea, listen, if we're going to be surrendered and take the step of faith, or if we're going to be like Israel and keep turning our back on God. And listen, when we turn our back on God, God sometimes has to go to drastic measures to get our attention. Sometimes God allows a financial struggle. Why? To get your attention. Sometimes God allows cancer. Why? To get your attention. That, that's not to say that every time cancer is there, it's God saying, I want your attention. No, 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 my friend. But we need to understand that when we consistently or constantly or continually turn our back on God. Sometimes God with his people, what is he going to do? He's going to chasten us. Amen. Why? Because we're his kids. We're his children. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. You want to you take me to a, a child that's undisciplined? I'll take you to a parent that doesn't love their kid. That's just a simple truth. I was just reading an article it might have been this morning or last night, reading an article about a 17-year-old uh, that wouldn't get out of bed. So his parents called the police, called the police. Police showed up. I said, our, our kid won't get out of bed and he won't go to school. He's, uh, um, what do they call it? Truant, thank you. He's truant. You need to come get him. The police officer responded, went to the house, walked in the kid's bedroom. True story from what I can tell. Walked in the kid's bedroom, said, get out of bed. 16, 17-year-old kids said, no, 
I was up till four in the morning playing a video game and I'm tired. I'm not going to school. And the whole premise of the article, and I didn't read all of it, I just kind of got frustrated at one point. But this, the, the person writing the news article, he's saying, hey, what is wrong with parents? Discipline your kid and help them learn right. This is coming from a, 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 a contemporary writer. That's a biblical principle. Amen. Parents raise kids to walk with the Lord, raise them to be disciplined by you disciplining. Amen. Can I just tell you this? God does that in your life. Amen. Why, should a parent, why should a parent work to, and can I help parents out? The Bible word for it is train up a child. The best discipline is not screaming and yelling and barking orders. It's training. Hey, let me train you. Just like, a, just like an employer would train an employee. Let me train you. Let me show you how to do it. Hey, mom and dad, and this is just a little side note. This is free. You don't have to give for this. Mom and dad, listen. You can bark orders all you want. Grandma, grandpa, you can bark orders all you want. If the life doesn't match the words... It's pointless. My dad used to joke about it. I remember when I was a kid, my dad would, uh, he'd grab a pen or something like that. If I can do it. He, he'd grab a pen, something like that. And he'd hold it up like he was smoking. He'd be preaching, hold it up like he's smoking. Side note, my dad was walking out of the church one time, put a pen and was locking the door. A week later, a church family was like, we're leaving the church. He's like, why? Because we saw you smoking. What are you talking about? Anyway, he was, uh, he was preaching in church. <laughs> Another side note. He's preaching and he'd say, he'd, he'd do this. You know, there's some parents in here that they'll, they'll do this. Son, I want to tell you, smoking's bad for you. You need, you need to quit smoking. <sighs> My dad, he'd always do that. He'd say, hey, boy, you need, to quit, you need to quit that drinking. Man, you know what? You know what I learned from that just as a, as a little kid? Actions speak louder than words. Parents, again, this has nothing to do with Hosea. This is just on my mind. Parents, you got to understand. Training is God's biblical principle for helping your children. And training is part of discipline. And can I help you understand something and help me understand something? That sometimes, sometimes, God has to bring in discipline to bring his child back. Sometimes he brings it through the form of training. It's called trials. Sometimes it is a health situation. Sometimes it is a financial situation. Sometimes it is a struggle that's out of your hands, out of your control. Listen, you wanna know what God's purpose is? It's to help you and I surrender to take that next step of faith. You look at Hosea. What'd he do? Man, God called him to do something drastic, and yet he obeyed. God uses his word. Listen, I'll say this and we'll be done. God uses his word to encourage believers to take steps of faith that will glorify him. That's just what happens. God uses his word to help you and I take steps to grow closer to him. He doesn't work through those audible voices anymore. He doesn't need to. He's given us the word 
a more sure word. And God's word will never lead us contrary to God's spirit. God's spirit will never lead us contrary to God's word. It's always going to be found in this book. Can I tell you this, that when God comes and God gives you maybe a decision that needs to be made, he gives you something, oh, maybe like Hosea, that it's just a little bit out of your comfort zone. Can I encourage you with something? Surrender. You know, God could come to you and he could say, listen, I wanna challenge you with something that's out of your comfort zone, some personal discipline. Get up, spend time with me in the word of God. Man, surrender, obey. Something that's out of your comfort zone is talking to other people about me. Surrender, obey. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's telling people about him uh, by going. Maybe it's going to Wenatchee. I remember when Mike and I were first talking about uh, the church plan. Of course, we've talked about this a number of times that when they first came on, the purpose was to come on, as, as he said, to come on and to learn church planting a little bit to eventually go out. I remember 2017, we talked in February of that year, and I think I said this last Sunday night, talked in February of that year and, <clears throat> and just began to understand, like I told him, I think God's working. He said, oh, pastor, I don't think it's for five more years. November, he comes and says, you're right. I think it's right around the corner. What do we do? And so we just begin to pray and look. And you know what? One of the things that Micah and I were talking and he's, he's conveyed to me multiple times, pastor, I'm scared. And I hope he is. Why? Man, sometimes we need that because it helps us with the faith side of things. Pastor, I'm scared. Man, I'm scared about finding a house and finding a building. I'm scared about uprooting my family. I'm scared about not knowing anybody. I'm and listen, I felt the same way coming to Moses Lake. I'm scared. <clears throat> Can I tell you that sometimes that fear is there to remind us of the faith that we need in God? Because God's saying, hey, I wanna take you out of your comfort zone and I wanna use you, why? I wanna use you to do something that will glorify me. I understand this morning in the Recycled Teenagers class that, uh, that my dad was preaching about the effect of one person can I just tell you that you and I, we never know the effect of one person. You never know what God could do in your life. You never know who God could touch in your life. Mom and dad, listen, you never know the effect you could have on your kids if you right now would say yes and obey. You never know the effect that could happen in 20 years if you'll hand out that gospel track. You never know the effect that could happen this week if you give to missions. You never know the effect that could happen. We, we don't know. But sometimes it takes a lot for God to get our attention. I see that <clears throat> Hosea, he's asked this just really crazy request, and yet he surrenders. I see that wrapped up in these first three verses is the right response for when God is trying to get our attention. The right response is surrender and obey. Paul wrote it this way in the book of Romans, chapter four, verse 20, and 20, 20 through 22. Speaking of Abraham, said he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able also to perform and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Man, Abraham, he didn't stagger at the promise through unbelief. It means he didn't waver, but he was strong in faith. I believe the same is true with Hosea. Why did Hosea take Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim? Because he was strong in faith. 
He knew God's asking me to do something that's uncomfortable so that he can be glorified and I'm willing to follow him. I ask you the question tonight, what does it take for God to get your attention? What's it take for God to get your attention? Does it take some drastic measure like he was doing and like we will see God was doing with Israel? They wouldn't listen. So God had to go through drastic things. Or could we be more like Hosea and just be sensitive to the voice of God, not allowing our successes to crowd him out, but instead being able to say, God, today, I wanna hear your voice. Can I tell you, this is a daily decision. God, today, I surrender to hear your voice. I hope that tonight we'd make the decision, Lord, it doesn't, it's not gonna take a lot for you to get my attention because every day, God, I wanna hear your voice. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed tonight as we come to an invitation time, <clears throat> a time to respond back to him. And tonight, if God's spoken to you, I wanna encourage you, would you respond? Maybe it's, maybe God spoke to you because you haven't been sensitive. Maybe you've been going through life and your successes have crowded out your sensitivity to God. And tonight, maybe you just need to come and say, God, I wanna get right with you. God, I want tonight to commit to be sensitive to your voice. I'm gonna pray, and if God's spoken to you, let's respond to him. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. I pray that you'd help us tonight to respond to your spirit. Father, help us to be, uh, Lord, like Hosea, having a willingness to listen to you and to surrender and to obey as you call, uh, call us to take those steps of faith that will bring glory to you. Lord, help us not to be like Israel that need something major to happen to get our attention. And Father, I pray that you just be with the invitation tonight. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.